Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everyone, Baseball America podcast today, a little draft podcast, J.J. Cooper, Carlos Colazzo, and maybe uh, we might add a little Kyle Glazer a little later on. Gotta get that SoCal coverage everyone's dying to hear about. Gotta get the SoCal coverage uh, in there hopefully, but if not, you'll be uh, capable of uh, handling it uh, no problem. But we want to talk a little draft today, good reasons, the first day of our 30 days of draft coverage leading up to the June draft. It's going to be here before we know it. And uh, But also we want to celebrate, we have up at BaseballAmerica.com right now, we have up the 500 draft prospects. Now, yes. it feels so good to have that out. <laughs> it does. We've been at 300, we were at 100, then 200, then 300, now we're at 500. Realistically, we could go 1,000, but we're going to stay at 500 for the list for that, then we'll have state lists that will go beyond yep, that. For sure. And for having a 500 at this point, I, I feel pretty good about the guys we have there. I mean... I think every single person on this list, we've had scouts uh, give us feedback around where they are talent-wise in regards to the draft. Um, so for this far out, I feel really good about having those 500 guys. We have reports of the top 50 guys plus a little extra that you can see right now. If you go to baseball, baseballamerica.com, excuse me. 50 we'll more to come. Continue rolling those out. Real soon. Time. Um, this 450 one. to come altogether, <laughs> and really more than that. When it's all said and done... Oh, I think we'll probably have written up at least 700. My Realistically, I, my yeah. goal is more like 800. Basically, this weekend, I think I'm just going to trap myself in the office and just write reports all day. So look but, forward to having those come up. But we do thank you. We've had a lot of people subscribe uh, so they can read these rankings mm-hmm. and also read our top 100 and all that. We We've do. got a lot more exciting draft content coming out for subscribers. A lot of stuff that's not just rankings and scouting reports, as if those aren't fun enough. There's a lot of really cool content and stories that we have uh, planned, some of which are already written, some of which we'll continue to write and report on as we get to the draft. So it's a very exciting time. This is the crunch time for the draft. Teams are starting to uh, at least get ready to have meetings to find out who their priority guys are going to be as we go down the stretch. Uh, It's just fun. So we're going to dive right in, though. So here we go. We're looking at the top 500. And the thing that stands out, we're going to focus mainly on the first round today, yeah, probably. So, but the thing that does stand out, we might answer a couple of questions that we got on Twitter also, but 
thing that stands out more than anything is, is, and we've talked about this a little bit before in a Facebook Live podcast, but we have a number one. Yes, we do. I don't know anyone that we've talked to who is saying, no, 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 Casey Mize isn't number one. Yeah, before the season, before the season, it was Brady Singer and... I, I keep saying this, but he was never really the consensus guy. There are a few there guys wasn't a consensus to. guy. He didn't have one, yeah. It didn't take long this season before Mize kind of turned into that guy. He is in a tier of his own at this point, at number one. We were discussing it earlier in the office, and I guess we can touch into that if you want. But Sure. Just the how impressive his repertoire with the combination of command that he has, it's far and away about better than anyone else in this class. College, high school, no one really comes close. It's really, you could say it's a six-pitch mix, depending on how you kind of qualify a few of the, the change-ups and sliders that he can manipulate a little bit. Truly maybe four pitches. He just manipulates the ball so well. Has two potential 70-grade pitches in a fastball splitter. You can get the full breakdown or scouting reports, but how does his repertoire, I guess, stack up compared to pitchers we've had in the past? Because I know we touched on this earlier. Who, who kind of jumps out to you? If there is Well, anyone, the thing about it is it's one of the things... It is very unique. You don't normally have a, a fastball splitter. You know, you do in the big leagues. Hello, Roger Clemens. Hello, Kurt hello, Schilling. Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani. But when you talk about at the minor league, I mean, at the, at the draft side, on the college side, when we talk about a guy coming up and doing that and being a top pick in the draft, coming out of the draft, there's not a guy that comes to mind who's had his repertoire. Mm-hmm. But the other thing with Casey Mize, again, when we talk about that that he is the clear number one, I really doesn't mean he's going to end up being the best player in this draft class because it often ends up the number one guy's not. Mm. But coming into this, coming into the draft a month ago, unless something happens health-wise, I knock on wood, you know, because, again, Casey Mize had some health issues last yes, year. Yeah, that's, that was the big Durability thing was, the year. And it's a huge question for him still, I think. But if you take that out... I really can't make a case for someone to be the number one guy instead of him. No, it's he has, hard. He has as good, if not better, stuff than any of the guys, other guys, pitchers we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He has a better track record of success than any of the other pitchers we're talking about, including Brady Singer, who has been the Friday night starter for Florida for multiple years now, you know, and has really impressed. Mm-hmm. But... You don't have that. And then you have, on top of that, we're talking about a guy who doesn't walk anybody. No. That's the biggest thing to me that stands out. In 2017, he had a 2.04 ERA. He led the nation with a 12.1 strikeout-to-walk ratio. He had 109 strikeouts and 9 walks. This year, the strikeout rate per 9 is up to 14.8. He has 104 strikeouts in 75 innings and just 7 walks. To be able to control that arsenal, which a splitter in general is a hard breaking ball to control. It's not easy to land. He lands that pitch pretty regularly, and hitters can't touch it. So the fact that he can control that arsenal so well makes him the no-doubt number one. Nothing's going to change that unless something happens with health, in my mind. I don't think anyone can surpass him by just having a... Strong finish. A strong finish isn't going to help anyone shoot past unless they just... Come out of nowhere and develop a new tool, which is going to happen. <laughs> find that highly unlikely. That said, the other thing that does blow, blow me away about this draft class is, is you have a guy at one. Mm-hmm. And we've been hearing the Giants are here, they're there, they're here, they're there, they're there, they're everywhere. Yeah. 
And just understand why, because if Casey Mize goes one as expected, we not said that there's no one that I could make a case for as being the other guy who's number one. Exactly. Oh, I can give you cases for multiple guys at number two. Yeah, that's the thing. When you say who's the number two guy, depending on who you ask, you can get seven, maybe even eight players. I mean, we can run through some of the names. It's more of the same group that we've kind of talked about the past few weeks when we've talked about the draft. But there are solid cases for a number of different guys for a number of different reasons behind Mize. Uh, and I think that's why you're kind of hearing uh, the Giants linked to so many different players is because they don't really know at this point. And every team that I talk to, they don't really know what's going to happen after one, assuming Mize is picked, who everyone thinks is going to be the number one at this point. But they still have to figure out what, how the board is going to fall after that because it could go in so many different ways. Well, uh, the other thing I'd say with that is, is that what you can do with this one is, is if you're the Giants, mm-hmm. if your board really does look like, okay, there's Casey Mize, Gap, and then you've got five guys you like very similarly. Then we're talking about at two, it's more like what we've seen in recent years. Last year, Royce Lewis went one, but Royce Lewis down to Mackenzie Gore, they were those were all guys you could order in any way you wanted to. Yep. Some teams would have been in on three of them and not on two. Other teams would be on another three, not on two, whatever. But at that point, then bonus, you know, asking price, things like that, are also going to fit into exactly. it. And, but I'll, I'll ask you, Carlos, if you were picking two right now, months yeah. ago, who's the guy who feels like number two to you? Personally, I really like Joey Bart. I know part of that is because I've seen him recently in person, and he was very good. Another part of that is because as a college catcher the sort of offensive profile that he has, I'd be really tempted to take him high in the draft just because that's such a such a position of rarity at the major league level. I know most teams are not going to draft for need at the major league level. That doesn't happen. But at the same time, his talent, I think, fits. Joey Bart comes to mind. Alec Bohm comes to mind, a college third baseman with, again, kind of top of the scale power, at least relative to this class. The track record for those guys we've talked about is mm-hmm. phenomenal. I think the third guy for me is probably a group of three college players. The third one is Nick Madrigal. Uh, we've talked about him a lot. He's come back from his injury. Looks like the exact same player we've seen uh, before he went down, what he's been every year at Oregon State. All of those positions, um, you have guys that fill defensive defensive value, I guess, as well. You've got an up-the-middle guy, a third baseman on the dirt, a catcher, who can all bring something to the table really on both sides, depending on what you think of Bohm's defensive ability. But... Any of those guys I'd be happy with. I don't know if there's one really who jumps out too much above the rest. For me. But the other thing that stands out to me is, is as we get closer and closer to the draft, I'm there's not a high school guy that I'm really comfortable mm-hmm. saying is, we have Matthew Libertor number two on our list right now. Yeah. And he's been the guy who has kind of consistent, been the most probably consistent as far as just he came into the year considered one of the top guys. He was the, the 1B to Ethan Hankins before the season starts, I would say. He was right up there. He's, he, he's he, been at the top basically since, I guess, USA Baseball finished last year in Thunder Bay. He's, he's been the guy, kind of the, the 1B to Hankins. Now, he's moved up. Everyone we talk to still really likes him. I think but I don't he, think he's moved up. He just hasn't moved down. I exactly. Yeah, no, no. I agree with you. Yeah. He's been in this conversation, I think, after his first start, he had a chance to maybe take that number two spot mm-hmm. and run away with it. We haven't seen that stuff hold up throughout the season, but at the same time, he was even thought of before this spring as a projectable guy in this range 
Uh, so I think teams still like a lot of what he does. But I, I do look at it and say, okay, so you've got him. Colwyn has some good helium as we yeah, continue. Who's, we hear nothing but good things about Colwyn. And he's been he's been probably even actually more consistent than Libertor. I would I would definitely agree with that. I think you could make an argument. That we saw him on the same day yeah. in a, the national NHSI, and Colwyn was better that yeah, day. Colwyn was the best pitcher at the NHSI. He pitched a few hours before Matthew Libertor was more consistent within that start, and he's been more consistent in between starts. He's added a slider at some point this spring. I think it was a few weeks before the NHSI, actually. And really, it, we've talked to area scouts who, when when they see him, he's just answered all the questions you could have um, right. for Colwyn. There's no real big question mark. And we've talked about this before. If you look at some of the prep arms around him, he doesn't have the athleticism of a Mason Denneberg. He maybe doesn't have two potential 70 pitches like Carter Stewart. He doesn't have the, the pure stuff that a Kumar Rocker or Ethan Hankins when he's healthy could bring. But if you look at the total package of what Colwyn brings to you, it's very appealing. And I think now at this point, it sounds like he's more a top of the first round guy as opposed to middle or back of the first round that he was three or four weeks ago. The thing I will say that I don't know how much it will affect these guys, and we've got a story about this coming in the next issue of Baseball America, is... At the same time, Cole Wynn is a high school right-handed pitcher. Yes. Kumar Rocker is a high school right-handed pitcher. Carter Stewart. Carter Stewart. Hankins. Ethan Hankins. Grayson Are, Rodriguez. Mason Rodriguez. Grayson Rodriguez. Not Mason. Grayson Rodriguez. All these guys, high school right-handed. Cole Wilcox. I would hate not to mention Cole's name. Who had a great day yesterday. Yes. But all these guys, high school right-handers. And the reality of it is, is top 10 pick high school right-handers. You have to go far, far back yes. to say, okay, Dylan Bundy. Mm-hmm. Okay, Let's um, just use the example from even last last year's draft. Hunter Green and Mackenzie Gore go. Not to, righty you know, versus lefty. Exactly. The lefty is having a lot of success. Well, Mackenzie's had, Mackenzie has had, he has had, this year he's had blister problems. Okay. But, Either way, Hunter Green is obviously a very short sample. I'm not banging on Hunter saying he's not going to But he's now. been... But he He's has, been. He has an ERA, a career ERA, north of ten. Yes. Last thirteen, last I checked. You don't want your career ERA to be north to have four digits. That's two not of good, which coach. you don't want to have two of those digits to the left of the decimal yes. point. Go back the year before that, Riley Pint, and Riley Pint is on the DL right now, shoulder stiffness, but struggled last year. Struggled his first start this year before going on the DL. Let's go back to you know. Let's go back to Tyler Kolek. Let's go back. You just keep going back, and you really do struggle to find the last time that the first high school right-hander off the board, especially a top ten pick, has just gone out and had success. Yeah. No. One of the one of the last ones that really turned out to be a star and actually worked out is Zach Greinke. I don't know if he was the first but, one off the board. How far How far back was that? <laughs> I mean, Zach Greinke. I mean, you were like you know what six when that happened. Yeah, I, I mean, don't even you know, know who Zach Greinke was at that point. <laughs> You know, but so, so right. So the the point that we're making is is that it is I, a high risk, and play. especially, this is a very dr- deep draft for high school right-handers. Yeah, if you go even all the way down, you can get to JT Ginn, who we have. He's in the top fifty, but he's a lot further down than some of these other guys. The stuff he has is comparable to some of these guys in the top of the first round, and there are a lot of pitchers you could keep going further down the list who you dream on. And you might think of them as equivalent or at least close to some of these guys at the top. There are a lot of really good depth options that might want to keep you away from 
these guys at the top if you're risk averse. I mean, it makes some sense. The track record is just, it's just not there. Right. And so with all that, it, it does mean when you have a draft class and you do not have, and again, on the high school bat side, let's just go into that for a minute. Let's do it. There's not a lot of certainty there either. No. Because coming into the year, it was Nolan Gorman and Bryce Terang as the top guys. Those two, and then Jared, Kellen, uh, Jared Kellenick has been right behind them. I think. Right, right there with them. And yep. all three of which everyone's seen for a long time. Yes, for sure. All of them played with Team USA last year. Kellenick and Bryce Terang played the year before that. I think Gorman's been around a little um, fewer, uh, less time than, than the first two, but still he had Who? a very Kellenick? Loud, Gorman. Gorman, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, Gorman, yeah. A little bit later, but yeah, the first two. Long track records with those guys during the summer, but this spring for those two, it's been tough. For Kelnick for different reasons than Terang. Kelnick obviously has the weather issues. I know you're writing about that or you've already written right. about that. Yeah, but you have that as an issue. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, is, is with these guys, yeah. especially in the case of Bryce Terang and Jared Kelnick, what we keep getting from scouts, and these are scouts who like them. Yeah. Jared Kelenic is a really good player, but the expectations that the scouts that I've talked to, and I think it's the same with the ones you've talked to, is is that you would feel more comfortable if you're picking at 15 and you took Jared Kelenic because it, it's kind of I, I don't want to compare him to Mickey Moniak. They're very different players. Yeah. If Mickey Moniak had gone in that draft where Blake Rutherford went. Those two guys, there was not a lot of separation between Blake Rutherford and Mickey Moniak. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, there were people who believed that Blake Rutherford was the better prospect, the better high school hitting prospect mm-hmm. than Mickey Moniak. A little more physical. Yeah, he's not going to stay in center probably, but you put it all together. Yeah. But Mickey Mo goes significantly higher. He goes 1-1. One, one. He goes as high as you can go. <laughs> and because of that, the expectations that come with 1-1... One, one, mm-hmm are ones that I don't think it's going to be very hard for Mickey Moniak to ever live up to those because he's the scouts that you talk to that I've talked to in pro baseball who've seen Mickey Moniak who like him mm-hmm. see him as a solid player yep. not an impact guy not a multi all-star guy kind of like that when you talk to people about Jared Kelenic guys who like him yeah they say there's a lot of 50s there maybe there's you could you know you might like you might throw a 60 on the hit tool you really like it, maybe you throw a 60 on the, the power. Mm-hmm. Which, again, if you get 60 hit, 60 power, that's pretty good. That's, for an outfielder, that's really good. But it also wouldn't surprise anyone if it was like 50, 50, 50, you know, almost across the board. Yep. As a corner outfielder. As a corner outfielder. You know, maybe chance, an arm plays above that. Stick in center field, for sure. But, but likely a corner. Exactly. And the point about that is, is that that's something where, if, again, in a wild draft, if he goes two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. that's going to put an expectation on exactly. him that may exceed the reality. Okay, let's talk about it. Like Royce Lewis last year, who again, who went 1-1, but Royce Lewis could have gone 1-1, you could have gone 5. Yep. Royce Lewis versus Jared Kelenic, you know, again, it's different draft classes, but Royce Lewis plays shortstop, and if you are worried about the defense, which not the whole lot of people are, but if you are, he's sliding to second or third. Jared Kellick's playing center, and if you're worried about defense, he's sliding to left or right. Advantage Lewis. Yes. One's a SoCal hitter. Both have track records, but one's a SoCal hitter. We've got a lot of those guys in the big leagues. One's a Wisconsin hitter, high school hitter. 
We have we have basically none of those in the mm-hmm. big leagues. For sure. The Royce Lewis uh, comparison is interesting, but I want to kind of pivot to Terang. Okay. Because Go that way. Terang, to me, I'm personally, I like Terang more than than what we're hearing. I've seen him really good a lot, and our draft list doesn't reflect my opinion. Right. We're We've moved him down because we keep hearing exactly. he's moving down, so we, we move him down. he's moving down. Teams just haven't been wowed, and it's the same thing you talk about. People go in there wanting to really like him, and they do like him. They just leave the field wishing they liked him a little bit. They like him as a first-rounder, exactly. not as an impact top of Exactly. Them. Yes. There have been questions all along about uh, the impact he was going to have from a physicality standpoint. He's not as big as people want. Uh, he just hasn't hit with authority as often as scouts seem to want. Um, there are still some defensive questions with him as well. Uh, I think he'll be able to stick there. I don't know what you think about Trang personally, but another another thing that's going to be interesting just with how this plays out in the draft is signability of a guy like Terang because he's a guy who's been at the top of the class for so long. He's got an LSU commit. If he's a high price tag, if he starts sliding, you start to wonder about how far he could go. But then with this year's order, We've got some interesting wrinkles that are going to pop up in the middle, and I know we've talked about right. this before on Facebook Lives. But it that actually it, it's funny, but there's because there's talk, just yeah, talk let's explain kind of how that okay. is going to. Uh, this is game the theory. I love draft love game that. theory. It's I'm probably the only person in the world who does, but, but I do. Really quickly, the two teams with the biggest draft pools, um, as far as how much money they have on on all their picks this year, are the Royals at number eighteen with twelve million seven hundred thousand, a little above that. And then the Rays at pick number 16 with 12415 And the Tigers sit at? The Tigers are at So basically you have three teams that essentially have, yes. a, in essence, almost right bunched together. Yes. But the thing is you said, you have these two teams. Where those teams sit in the draft with that kind of money? Because you, you always... It's really interesting. It does. Because when you talk about it, when you look at a team like that, so normally what you're talking about is, is can they get a guy float down? Yep. Because you, you and how when you if someone's listening to this and doesn't know how you float a guy down, how the guy floats down is is Das Cameron a few years ago, and you know these picks come pretty quick, but there's five minutes in the first round, and so guy the team's on the clock and they you know they're it's next pick and they're basically saying what's your number and you throw out as a player a large number, you know I want I want six mil. I'm not signing if I don't get six mil, whatever that number is. And so team goes, we're not paying him six mil, mm-hmm. moving on. Now, there's no guarantee. There have been players we have been rumored in the past have thrown out numbers like that, and a team says, oh, okay, we'll, we're taking we'll you. Take you. You know what? We're not offering you six mil. We'll give you three. Turn down this. Yeah. You can go to school if you want. Congratulations to you. We'll have a pick that picks one spot after this in next year's draft. We're okay with that. And often those guys sign. But so a guy can float down. Daz Cameron, who was a first-round talent on basically every board, yeah. ends up going into the uh, goes to the 35th pick, I believe it was. Ends up signing for as much money as top five pick and fellow teammate Kyle Tucker. Mm-hmm. They both get four million in their bonus. That happens. Thirty seventh. You get and they both get four million. So that's how you can float a guy down. What we're talking about here is the possibility that there are some guys who their asking price could remain what it was, but they're falling because more of on talent. Exactly, yeah. But 
They're guys who only you get to a certain point, and it may be that only if they get picked by a team like the Royals or a team like the Rays, or theoretically double back up on the Tigers because they should have some money to spend, or the Giants because they're picking at the top and have a big enough allotment, that you have to have someone like that take them to meet that number. The Tigers certainly do have a chance at 44, but again, it might be tough with them considering we actually do have a legit number one guy. Right. It's hard for them to save a lot. Right. You compare that because, again, if you're picking, if your first pick is 16 or 18, that gives you another guy we've talked about a different a different situation, but Jordan Adams, who's a two sport guy. Oh yeah, super interesting. Jordan Adams, two sport guy, who's had a great spring. This is I, we do feel like it's worth noting. Jordan Adams didn't show up out of nowhere. No, he was at the showcases last year. He won the Under Armour All America game last year. Walk off hit. Always has been a very exciting, athletic. Maybe more raw of a bat than he's proven to show. A uh, less raw of a bat, excuse me, this spring. Than what he was seeing coming exactly. out. But so, but again, this is not a player that had not played, had not played, and all of a sudden everyone's like, who is this guy? Yeah. No, no, no. East Coast Pro, Under Armour, mm-hmm. he was at him. But he is now considered a much better prospect than he was. Yes. That said, he is a guy who you're going to have to logically, not that we have his number, yeah. but logically, looking at it from the outside, you're going to have to overpay for it. Why? He has a full-ride football He's scholarship. He's got a lot of leverage. He's really good at football, too. Four-star wide receiver going to the uh, North, North Carolina, Carolina Tar Heels. <laughs> and, by the way, his dad coaches at North Carolina, so there's that to go as well. Yep. So if you want to take Jordan Adams... And when we talk about that scenario where you say a team drafts you and says, okay, you're asking prices this, well, we're going to draft you. And, okay, if it's not, good luck to you. If you're Jordan Adams, if they don't meet that number, you say, yep, good luck to me. I can go play two sports in college. I'm not losing any of my future leverage. And I get a full ride for, you know, first for my football scholarship. And I might be, uh, you know, I I might have two sports where I could eventually choose from. Mm So he has so, but again, if you're a team like the Rays or a team like the Royals, those are the teams that have the extra money to potentially meet that and get a player who, purely on talent, may be a. And we're we're still struggling to figure out where you slot Jordan Adams on talent because we are hearing that Jordan Adams very well may be a first round pick. Jordan Adams, if he is, is going to get paid like a really high first-round pick because of what we just spelled out. That said, purely on talent, and this is nothing against Jordan Adams, but the guy, you are talking about a high-risk demographic. Very high-risk. The two sport guys who you always, almost always have to overpay. And if we want betting on him reaching his obscene ceiling. Betting on him, focusing on baseball, making huge improvements. And by the way, Focusing on baseball, when also one of the tough things with this is, is baseball is brutally hard, mm-hmm. and so many of these guys. Which is not to say Jordan Adams hasn't been playing baseball a while. Right. He's no. No. Played but a but, long time, more longer than he's played football. But right. It's different when you're playing. You are. Sport and but focusing on one. I've seen this personally in watching, you know, covering the Macon Braves many, many years ago, as I talked about too often. <laughs> Same team of Andrew Jones, a guy named George Lombard, who made the majors down the road. But George Lombard was a better football prospect than he was baseball prospect. At the Lovett School in Atlanta, was going to go to Georgia to be their running back. The Braves pay him a good number, second round, very good number at the time, 
to give up football. He does. He goes out to baseball, and the first year he doesn't hit. He's he's in he's playing in the South Atlantic League in front of 1,500 fans a night. And there's a part of you that always knows that, you know, instead I could be playing at Sanford Stadium in front of 100,000 people or close to it. So so you're talking about a different situation like that. You always It's hard to not have that at some point. Bubba Starling's gone through this many a year because Bubba Starling signed a massive deal um, you know, to, to, to play baseball, give up football, was going to be a Nebraska's quarterback. And so what happens? Goes to baseball, and he's really struggled because baseball, in football, a guy can go out and make a pretty immediate impact, yeah. much easier than you can in baseball. And you're going to disappear off of the radar exactly. in baseball among your friends and all that for quite a while. Everyone would expect for Adams to be a guy who takes his time developing through the system. He's not going to be a guy who impacts your team anywhere close to quickly. So... So you're going to get there's all that's going to be interesting to see what happens with Jordan Adams. Another interesting team, kind of in this uh, same regard, uh, a little less because a little to a little less extent because they don't have this much money. But the Indians pick first at 29, and their overall slot is much higher than any team around them. They have number 29. They have a pick in the supplemental round at 41, and they also have a comp pick between those at 35. Since Santana signed with the Blues. So they'll be an interesting team that might be able to do some similar uh, floating tricks here, pop a player who has maybe a higher upside, a higher price tag outside of that. We're lucky enough Kyle Glazer has joined us. We do want to bring you into this discussion as well because you're doing our SoCal coverage, and we're talking a little bit about Bryce Terang and how everyone's known about Bryce Terang for a very long time. At the same time, I mean, just kind of if you would, just summarize a little bit for us kind of what are both the – the, the remaining the, the pluses that are still there for Bryce and what are kind of the, the concerns that Bryce is facing? First and foremost, even the detractors right now acknowledge that Bryce Trang's a very polished player. He's you know got a really good field ahead. Look, he's been in the spotlight for a long time. His dad was a big leaguer. He's played at every major tournament, every major showcase, even his high school baseball, you know, Santiago High School. They're playing Division One SAF Southern Section. Every team he plays has three, four D1 guys. His own league has, you know, five guys who are going to get drafted this year, his 16 league. Uh, at least four of them, I should say. So uh, he's constantly played good competition. There's comfort that he will be able to, you know, perform. He'll get into pro ball. He'll know what to do. The concern is when evaluators are walking out of there, they're not seeing a plus tool. And generally speaking with Bryce Terang, you know, when you looked at him when he was, um, I, I was, funny enough, the baseball writer for the Riverside Press Enterprise when he was a freshman and sophomore. So I saw him come through and covered him extensively. So what you're saying is you have a long track record of history with Bryce Terang. A little bit. <laughs> um, you know, and then he's looking at the player said, hey, he looks really good at 14 and 15. Imagine what he's going to look like at 17, 18. Well, as we know with boys in general, they grow at different times, they peak different things, and while Bryce Tring has not regressed, he's kind of plateaued. Like, he's showing a lot. He's never developed, like, you would, you're expecting that the physicality would grow significantly from his freshman, sophomore year to his senior year. And is it fair to say, like, He's still not a very physical player. And in fairness, you know, his dad, who played for the Mariners for parts of the 94-95 season as well, was not a very physical man either. So I think there's a sense that physicality was never going to be his thing. But even without that, you still saw, okay, 
left-handed, shortstop, can run. You know, you can imagine a, a number two hitter, shortstop. You know, I would say that most people think he has at least a plus run tool. And it's, been, and it's been interesting because I've been hearing more and more about he's showing more above average times. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I will say this overall, Bryce Turner's a really good player. He is not, you know, a guy that has gone from, oh, he might be in the first round to we don't want him or he's, you know, back of the 10th round. Nothing like that. It's just has gone from, you know, all 30 teams like Tim Rangers to now you'll find 10, 15 teams that say, I wouldn't take him in the top 20 picks. I wouldn't take him in the top 30 picks. They see him as more of a back of the first round comp level guy. But you do still have those 10 to 15 other teams who are in on him and do say, we have a long track record. He's always performed. He still shows you uncanny field to hit, you know, for a high schooler. Right. It's, it's always been it. a poli- very polished hit tool. So, so I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it, he's, he's, look, he's no longer considered a, a top five guy, probably not a top ten guy. But there's enough interest. It's hard to see him slipping past 10 to 15 because there are teams in there, um, you know, who he's still considered a very good talent. So I, I, I think it's correct to state he is falling. Mm-hmm. I also think people are prone to overstating it sometimes. He's not, you know, dropping like a rock. He's just, you know, he's a good player. Uh, it's become the consensus he's no longer the best player in Southern California. That's Cole Wynn, and that's pretty... Mm-hmm. You know, unanimous, but you're still talking about someone who should go in the top half of the first round and, and has these skills and tools and track record that most teams desire out of out of any high school pick at the end of the day. We've we talked about these guys a lot. Are there any other players in this top thirty, top forty range who either pique your interest or have done something to kind of change their status at this point that, that interests you that you want to touch on? Because I know people have heard about training for a while. He's fun to talk about. He's a fun player. But who, who else kind of interests you that maybe we haven't talked about as much in the past? I'm actually going to say, like, because we have now gone, you know, we've gone even deeper. I, mm-hmm. Let's start it this way, Carlos. Who's a guy outside of the 50 that really fascinates you? There are a number of different guys that we could take. Let's let's go even further down. Okay, one one of my personal favorite guys that I – he's just a fun player to watch is Blaze Alexander. He's a shortstop in Florida. He goes to IMG Academy. Where does he sit on the rankings? Right now, he is at 102. Okay. So he's, he's Which, first, by the way, do remember, one of everyone listening, 102 means that you're if you get drafted at 102, you're, there are no complaints about being a uh, early day tour. Yeah, 102. You get paid would, very well. That would put you at the back end of the third round, maybe the fourth round. Uh, 102 would be in the back of the third round this year. But Blaze has a lot of really exciting tools at the Perfect Game National last summer. He threw 99 miles per hour across the diamond. Uh, no one is. No one thinks that he's not going to be able to play shortstop. He can play a number of different defensive positions. He has a plus-plus arm, the best, the best infield arm in the high school class at the very least. Uh, he has uncanny bat speed, 60-grade bat speed or better. He's got surprising pop. He's not a huge guy. He's not a very physical guy, but he hits the ball very far. He's hit for power this spring. Uh, he can give you a lot of value defensively, and people that like him offensively, I think you can you can. You can bank on him improving with the bat. There have been some. So hit why? Tool so why is he? I was going to say why? Why? What keeps him out of the yeah, hundred right now? I think it's the hit tool questions. Over the summer, he's changed his handset a lot with what he does at the plate. There's a lot of movement early on. I think he's done a good job of quieting that up as the summer progressed into the fall and this spring. I've heard good things. 
Uh, it's a question about the hit tool, I think, more than anything. He's not a great runner. He's probably just solid. He's not going to have plus-plus range out there defensively. But I think you could even argue that he'll have above average or plus range just because of how much that arm gives him. He'll be able to play deeper, make make plays in areas that, that other guys just wouldn't be able to make the throws from. Well, you're thinking of one. I'm well, going to got mine. Okay, so then, Kyle, who, who's the guy deeper on that you that really fascinates you? How about you can't pick a California guy, Kyle? Oh, well. <laughs> no, pick a California guy. That's your area. Just no, I, pick a guy. I mean, Matt McClain is someone oh, yeah. who's been rising consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I want to start by saying Matt McClain was not, you know, uh, nobody from, from nowhere. This mm-hmm. was a kid who was playing in the heart of Orange County, always performed was a UCLA commit. UCLA doesn't commit guys who aren't dudes. Like, he was an area coach kid, always a good player who was who was known. But, you know, at the beginning there, you talk to people like, you know, I like him, he's good. And every time you kind of just, as the year's gone on, he's getting more and more looks, more and more raves, more and more eyes on him. You know, and, and all of a sudden he goes from a kid that, yeah, you know, he could be a nice little fourth, fifth round type pick. Well, now you're hearing he's not getting out of the top 50 picks. Um, he's smaller. He's generously listed at five foot ten, um, 175 pounds, but no one denies this kid is an absolutely elite hitter. Mm. He's strong in his frame, does a lot of really good things in terms of his ability to just get the barrel to the ball, drive it. And you know, this kind of goes back to the, the terrain thing where we talked about who, you know, what's changed. You ask evaluators now, they'll tell you that Matt McLean is not only the best hitter in Southern California ahead of Bryce Terrain, they'll tell you he's the best hitter on the West Coast high school or college not named Nick Madrigal um, you know yeah. that that's come up so I mean I, I think it's a situation where you know whether it's short or second you know there's some debates some say yes some say no but when you can hit like he can and you know his tools have gone up he's running faster uh, he'll show you an above average arm for both the infield and the outfield um, you know this is an individual that you know the first round is still a little rich for some clubs but you start getting into that pick 40 to 50 range talk about you know, great competition, no question on the hit ability, could stay up the middle. He's a very good runner as well. Right, you, you get those, yeah. you know, plus run times. I think he's he's really, you know, put himself into the into the con- conversation as, as one of the best prep players, not since Southern California, but in the country. When, when we were out at the Boris Classic, Kyle and I went out to there. Kyle was hearing that he was rising up board, so I actually got to pop over to his high school and see him play against Corona del Sol, who has a couple of Corona del Mar. Corona del Mar is Arizona. Corona del Mar. Uh, he played against them, and it was funny because I was actually sitting beside the, the visiting dugout, Corona Del Mar, and one of their coaches, every single time McLean got up to bat, he was just raving about how he's been such a good hitter basically the whole time he's in high school. Just to himself, talking to himself, but you could hear him. It was really funny, and, and he performed there, and he could make all the plays at shortstop. It was a really good look. Uh, the guy I was going to throw out, and there's a lot of different ways to go. I'm not going with Hugh Smith, the Division Three uh, star. I'm not with the JUCO. I'm not going with Aaron Ashby, who's striking out 19 per nine. Uh, at I'm going to go with Bryce Montez de Oca, yes. who's uh, 153 on our list. A mountain of a man, yes. six foot seven, uh, 260, 270, can touch a hundred. You know, if he's coming out of the pen. Um, but the thing that stands out to me about Montez de Oca is that I, I, I would not surprise me if he ends up outperforming wherever he's picked mm-hmm. in the draft. And I say that because. Really smart guy, valedictorian of his high school class. He's had medical issues, but those medical issues are, I think, a little bit overblown almost. He had a, he had Tommy John. He had ulnar transpositions. They moved the nerve in his elbow, the same as they, you know, with the Tommy John and all. So, but he's back on the mound. He's pitched well this year. He's been very effective in the SEC with excellent stuff. And 
I just would not surprise me at all if, if you look back and we, and I think it's going to be in the pen long term, mm-hmm. but this guy really brings it. He has some, at least a little bit of feel. The delivery's not awful. He, there's a lot of things there to like. And we're talking about a guy who we're, we think we have him slotted pretty well based off of the guys we talked to. And that's at 153. And I, I just kind of feel like if I look at it, it's like if he went mid-fourth round, I would say, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think he's going to go there right now. You know, there's one other guy I want to bring out, uh, Wallace, the guy. You know, stick to SoCal when I have the West Coast cross checkers on the phone. You know, I ask them, hey, you know, what's going on around? There's a right handed pitcher out of uh, Washington State by the name of Jason Schroeder. And mm-hmm. this is an individual who, you know, if you go back and look through draft history from really 2003 on, the best high school right handers are not the guys taken at the top. The guys taken 40 to 50 outperform them on average. We'll have a big article on that next issue. Mm-hmm. Tease. Oh, we've been teasing it for you, don't you worry. Um, you know, Jason Schroeder, just, you're starting to hear all the things about the type of guy who could do that, who could be the guy that's taken 45th to 60th. And you look up in five years, you're like, man, he's outperformed the guy taken 8th, and the guy taken 13th, and the guy taken 17th. Um, really, really athletic, which, you know, you talk about a lot of times there's an obsession over present velocity, and he ha- he can throw you a plus fastball. Don't, don't kid yourself, but he's really athletic, uh, starter all the way, shows you a four-pitch mix, three that he can really land. You know, the most impressive thing with him, too, is – you know, he's a two-sport guy, quarterback safety. You know, every all the boxes are going to click with him, and you say, okay, sometimes you have those guys who it looks good on paper, but something's missing performance-wise. Given the Pacific Northwest is not the greatest uh, prep talent around this, it's respectable. He's had a, a two 17-strikeout games, a no-hitter. I mean, he's yeah. dominating. This year, that area is really strong, including Schroeder and some of these Oregon State guys, but there's a lot of interesting players this year. Yeah, so, you know, just a, just a guy that, you know, again, there's a long way to go. High school right-handers are incredibly risky. They're, even if the quote-unquote advanced one, it's a five- to six-year climb to the majors. Like, do not expect him to be fronting anyone's rotation in three years. <laughs> but... Unless you're Jose Fernandez. Right. And those are few and far yes. between. Um, but there's just enough going on over here. You know, there's something to this kid that I think is there's a very good chance that he's going to outperform where he gets picked. There's a sense right now he's not getting out of the top 100 picks. It could very well be significantly higher depending on how the season ends here for him this last month. He's, he's a good player whose name just... Again, not even trying to, you know, it just keeps coming up when you talk to people on the West Coast over and over again. Carlos, anyone else that you, before we uh, wrap this up, that really just jumps out to you? Because we could do this literally all day. That's, yeah, that's what we're doing. We still have 450 <laughs> reports to write, but we've done the majority of the reporting for them. So, I would say just a kid who we, we, we've written about already on the site, but who had such an impressive spring season. Uh, pitcher out of Florida, prep pitcher, another prep right-hander. See, there's so many of these guys. You could literally just throw a dart at our 500 list and find a prep righty, and he's really exciting. But Gunnar Hoagland uh, with 5A High School, he performed really well really early in front of a lot of uh, high-level decision-makers in Florida, and he didn't walk a single batter the whole year while throwing a fastball that got up to 96 at its best, settled into, like, low 90s with a plus curveball. He's a guy that could go really well. We currently have him in the top 100 um, but he could shoot up into the 30s, 40s, and it wouldn't surprise me as well with the spring that he had. A good field of pitch for him. Along those lines, a guy wouldn't shock me if he keeps moving up. Mm-hmm. We've moved him up already. Is JT Ginn, who you talked yes. about. JT Ginn and Linares Torres. I think both those guys have 
kind of a similar repertoire, at least to me over the summer. I thought they were similar, but go ahead and touch on Gannon. I'll touch on Gannon. Gannon, you said, like stuff wise, <laughs> stuff wise, he matches up. You just talked about Cole Wilcox and how he looked really good. JT Gannon has this has similar stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's there's a, there may be a little bit more. You can find some guys who think there's a little bit of reliever risk, yeah. although he has improved his delivery this year. Yeah, he's cleaned it up a lot. So and the big thing with Gannon too is. Before the season, we polled scouting directors on best tools for these high school guys. Ethan Hankins was given best fastball velocity and best fastball movement. The guy right behind him, JT Ginn, his fastball has some electric life latent in the zone. That pitch on its own is very impressive, and he's also got a couple breaking balls in his back pocket that have been very sharp as well. I think uh, Linares Torres Jr., he is a uh, prep right-hander out of New York. Mike Lanana actually wrote a really good feature on him. You can check that out. He gets a fastball that we've heard up to 97, 98 in that range this spring. Um, and he's also got a potential plus breaking ball as well. I think it's a little less consistent than Ginn's best breaking ball at this point. Um, but the thing with Torres and Ginn that is maybe separating them is Torres is very, very young for this class. And a lot of teams are going to like that youth out of the Northeast, a lot of projection. Ginn is a little older for the high school class. Uh, so that might be a point of concern for some teams. But the stuff with both of these guys is just electric and I think we've touched on like four or five prep right-handers that just shows the depth kind of throughout this list it's not just the top 30 guys oh uh, okay so like to give <laughs> to give an example of that I'm going to scroll down to uh, okay so here we are we're at the back of the 500 um, and you get to the back of the 500 and this is why we find one of the things we find fascinating in the draft. Now, normally, I will say, the back of the draft, you're not going to have as many high school guys because the high school guys who are 400, 500 were probably more likely to put the, the college senior who's performed, who's going to get drafted and has something. But we got, like, Tony Bullard from Riverside. Another guy I covered for a couple years, freshman, sophomore year. You know, we've got... Uh, I'm looking for uh, Reggie Grace from uh, Mississippi, who's kind of interesting. We've got, you know, there are, I guess the point is, is there are high school right-handers who are kind of interesting, who are sitting here at 400 to 500 on this list. Now, again, at that point, you are talking about there are clear distinctions between those guys and the guys we're talking about at the top. And the opinions you have on those guys and the guys you talk to varies much more broadly than the guys at the top. Absolutely, absolutely. But... That's why we go further than 500. There are going to be 1,270, I think, roughly, players drafted. Uh, and so we're going to try to tell you about as many of those, especially for our subscribers, as many of those we, as we can. Uh, we'll do this at least several more times before the, uh, the draft rolls around. But we've got a lot of writing to do. Yeah. We have a lot of reports to write. Let's get back to it. So for Kyle Glazer, Carlos Colazzo, I'm J.J. Cooper. We appreciate the download, and we do, again, appreciate you can... If you want to know more about this, go to BaseballAmerica.com. And then at the top, if you are not currently a subscriber, you can go to where it says, uh, it says digital subscription started only $5.50 a month. Join now. Click that. $5.50 a month. And you can have all this massive content and be the smartest person about the draft in your neighborhood. Or maybe your area code. So uh, for Kyle and Carlos, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. 
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.